so uh, I've got a little review built in for last week to, to catch us up, and mostly not just to catch us up, but just to remind us uh, how important what we're trying to, to think about. And part of the reason I brought up the conference is this is going to be kind of a parting thought, we're, and we're obviously going to participate in the conference next week and do that. Um, this phrase on the left-hand side, take your position in union with me, ask what you will, and it will be done for you, is something that the Lord gave me a couple of weeks ago during a time with him journaling. And I don't normally like preach my journal. That seems kind of weird, but I, I am. I, to tell you the honest truth, I was I, I made it a rule not to do that, and then the Lord kind of rebuked me on that, and he said, why do you think I give it to you, just for you? And so some things I, I'm willing to share, okay? Uh, and this is one of them. And this had to do with, with, with praying for people. And it just so happened that the week that I was going to come share it, we had uh, some uh, pretty substantial prayer needs. I would call them pretty substantial prayer needs. Uh, needs for healing, needs for uh, employment, jobs. And now, you know, since that time, this week, as I've talked to people and thought about it a lot, uh, made a trip to Boulder to see Ray, all those kind of things. I know that every every time we get together, every day, there are substantial prayer needs. Good to see you, Tommy. Every time we get together, there are substantial prayer needs because we're 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 people who are to bring the kingdom of God to earth, you know, as it is in heaven. And so that's a serious issue. And then you got political things and cultural things layered over that. You have personal issues and. And then there's just the whole issue of personal growth and transformation. Uh, I'm not sure that the needs that we have or the challenges that we have are actually more important than just the raw need to know God more and to know who we are more. And probably if we, if we did know him better and more thoroughly, if we saw him, you know, one of my favorite verses is in First John there 3, where it says, little children, it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, or when, he, when he's revealed, when we see him, we will be like him. Because we will see him as he is. So seeing God is a big deal in, in the development of who we are and the release of who we are. So anyhow, now I don't take it that it was just a message for uh, you know a particular need, although I'm, I'm happy to have had it for that. Take your position in union with me, ask what you will, and it will be done for you. So that was something from my journal. And I want to review why we're looking at union. This is the passage it came from. Uh, the top one is the Passion. The middle one is the New American Standard. The bottom one is David Bentley Hart's translation. If you live in life union with me, and my words live powerfully within you, that you can ask whatever you desire, and it will be done. And I made the point last week that if somebody like one of us tells somebody like a kid or a grandkid or an employee or something, whatever you want, that is built in with so many limits because of our finiteness that it's not that risky a statement, although most of us wouldn't make it. It's a promise that most of us wouldn't make with our kids or with our employees or with our friends even. Jason, whatever you want, you just ask. And not you'll get it. I'll do it for you. Okay, but that's what Jesus said. And he said that with an unlimited set of resources and possibilities. So if anybody dared to take that seriously, it would only be Jesus and his Father and the Spirit that could answer it, that could fulfill it. 
So that's, that's what we were looking at. So, but the, the, the first part, the sort of, it sounds conditional. Uh, uh, we'll talk about that. Larry LaRue and I are working on a study project a little bit about if as a condition. And, uh, I'll talk about that just for a brief second. But if you live in life union with me, then, then this is what happens. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever, whatever, whatever. And so we walked through those three clauses that if you remain in me and my word's been in you, ask whatever, and it'll happen for you. And um, it was pretty cool. I, I, I really super enjoyed last week. And I've seen some good fruit of it. I've had some good conversation. Dave, you've got some prayer, and you have uh, touched on some things that have fired up your identity and your creativity. And so it's pretty, pretty sweet. And Tommy, the fact that you're here, uh, and plus Tom shared a few positive details on Tuesday. And I've been able to spend some time with Kristen, and, and I'm hoping that there's others that also have some. We're, we're working off good testimony about David's job as he started. Does he, does he like it? Awesome. Awesome. So not only is it a good thing, it's a thing, a good thing he likes. So, and just heard some great compliments, uh, last week from you. So this is what's at stake in our union is why I'm looking at union with a closer view. Because what's at stake in our union is whatever we ask. So that makes the union part a pretty big deal. All right. So. You are in union, and I'm still reviewing, because this we looked at last week. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. All right, again, that's a pretty much unqualified statement. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So do you see how that speaks of union? Okay, that's a that's an assertion, a promise that Jesus made. And then the, the next verse down there, a little bit down, is in that day you will know that I am in my Father, you in me, and I in you. So that is the mechanical sort of relational, mechanical is a terrible word, that's the detailed relational version of what we're calling and expecting to know as union. That you're in me, and I'm in you, and all that is in the Father. And then if you go and keep reading in John 14, 15, 16, 17, which we'll look at a couple verses before we get out of it tonight, as you get through that, you begin to realize that, that Jesus believed this. He prayed about oneness. He prayed about us being together. He prayed about, and he was the one that then later in 15, just about six, eight verses after this, he said, uh, you know, if you abide me and, I, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it'll be done. It's all based on union. So here's another one that I mentioned last week but didn't brought up, so I thought I'd review it. This is Paul talking about in, in Romans chapter 6. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus? So, how many of you would consider yourself baptized? You either had the historic experience of baptism, or the Lord took you through the Red Sea in some fashion in your life that uh, Peter talked about that. Okay, most of us have been baptized, right? Have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him. How many of you feel and are conscious and, 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 I don't know how to ask a question. How many of you are comfortable and conscious that you have been buried with Jesus? I know, I'm, I'm kind of with Jen. I'm going, cause this is the point that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to walk us into tonight is that I know we believe it, but I don't know if we have explored the full benefit of what it means. So, 
I don't know that we'll, as a matter of fact, I'm 100% certain we won't explore the full benefit of what it means tonight. But we are going to look a little more closely at it than, and more, more directly, more consciously maybe than we have. Um, Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now, what I want you to, to think about there is this promise that Jesus made in, in John fifteen seven that ask whatever you will, if you abide in me, if you live in life union with me, and you abide in me, and my word abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it'll be done for you. Most of what goes on in our lives that takes us from where we were to where we are going in God is of necessity done for us. But we live most of the time as if we have to do it. And God died just to give us an opportunity or something. And that is a, is a curse on our thinking and on our souls that we have to break out of. Now look at what this says. Uh, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, How was Christ raised from the dead? Did Christ raise himself from the dead? No. He was raised through the glory of the Father. Now, I don't know if that's a big deal. It feels like a big deal. It feels like the life of the kingdom of God is about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit doing stuff with and for one another. And we're invited into that. And all of a sudden, we're caught in the crossfire of this, uh, Paul Young calls it, other giving love. Self-giving love. I think actually George McDonald's the one that first coined the phrase and Paul picked it up, but I don't know. I like them both. But, but to get caught in that, that's the dynamic of our life. That is how our expectations need to be built not on what we can do for ourselves, no matter how righteously we want to try to do it, but on what can be done for us. Because that's what's happening here. Jesus surrendered himself to the Father to accomplish a redemptive purpose that could not have been accomplished had the Father not exercised His own glory to raise Jesus from the dead. Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted of a necessity. Led by the Spirit. What's up with that? (laughs) And then He came out in the power of the Spirit. Not through his own personal resistance and victory, even though he did say, man shall not live by bread alone. But you see the interaction? I don't think we look at it enough. I don't think we understand how glory flows and power flows in the kingdom. But I think this is an example. So the glory of the Father, so so he too? No, so we too might walk in newness of life. Wow. So you have this cascading set of dependencies this cascading set of, of, of intimacies, all flowing from the infinite resources of the heart of the Father to transform us. First of all, to transform Jesus, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, I don't know how this works, into the Savior, into the resurrected one, into the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then he did that so that we, too, and walk in newness of life as a part of that whatever. For, okay, for if we become united with him in the likeness of his death. So now I can ask this question, and I'm more confident that we can give a hearty yes, even though a lot of you do say yes, and I don't doubt your first answer. Are we, do you feel that you are, do you understand, do you believe that you are united with Jesus in his death? Yes. 
Yes. Certainly. Huh? Certainly then. The consequence of that is that you can say, certainly, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Our salvation is not a, oh, well, maybe. Our relationship is not built that way. It's built in Christ, on his faithfulness, on the Father's faithfulness, on the Spirit who, remember, is going to be in you and with you forever. He's teaching, he's bringing things to mind. Anyway, this speaks to the union that you and I have in Christ. And we'll get to the significance of that when we get to the other part. Here's another passage. Uh, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How many of you know God? Good. Is there more to know? Of course there is. But we have a true knowledge of God, right? A true knowledge of God. If we didn't, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be worshiping. We wouldn't be praying. We wouldn't have tried to do that that uh, free worship bigger in the room thing. We wouldn't do anything. We wouldn't even care. We just plow through life. I mean, most of you probably, without very much provocation by me, could be stirred into a little tiny temptation to guilt over not doing something that you think you should do for the Lord. Now, I'm not going to do that. Probably already did just by mentioning it. I'm not going to do that because that's not what the, the stuff is for. The relationship is to know. And, and, and the, the only reason I brought that up is there was a time in most of our lives where we didn't do anything to try to please God, and we didn't even know there was anything wrong with not doing anything. So even the parts that we have a tendency to get vulnerable to temptation, to feel guilty, or to be accused by ourselves or the devil or somebody, those are screaming testimonies of our knowledge of God. Right? Yeah. All right. So, in the true knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. I don't want to make a huge teaching out of this, but if if that is translated at all accurately, which the New American Standard does have a tendency to translate verb tenses pretty well, has granted, is past tense, Everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge, epigenosky. I'll show you that in just a second. Of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. That speaks to union. Now we could interpret it different if we want. You could interpret it that there's just a little bit of the divine nature here that I get or a little bit that I get here. You could probably even interpret it that Things like gifts of apostles, prophets, they're just little tiny drips. I spent a lot of my life thinking that the blood of Christ was applied like drop by drop. But I don't think that's the truth. I think this thing is a big honking gift. It's poured out once for all. And that the Lord has promised to manifest this gift by the presence of the Holy Spirit, by being with us forever and all this kind of stuff. So the top knowledge is the epigenosis. Epigenosco, these two words. It means recognition, full acknowledgement, or I mean full knowledge or acknowledgement. Okay? So just keep that in mind. The idea of acknowledging this union. And then down here, partakers is uh koinonos, which I love it. It's like koinonia, it's like fellowship. Okay? But it it's a sharer or an associate, a partaker, or a partner. So I don't think it's possible with the range, the semantic range of that word, 
to minimize the union aspect of what it says. Koinonos means that we are with him together. Okay? So, are you in union? Yes. Now, here's what I want to get into tonight. Okay. I want to give us permission to move beyond a union metaphor into a real relationship of union. And I'm not suggesting you don't have a relationship with union, of, of union. I'm just think, I'm just suggesting that a lot of times you don't think like that. You don't treat it like it's that. You're, you're vulnerable to questions about, am I in union or am I out of union? Do I need to step? Even, even the way I phrased the, the thing uh, that I felt like the Lord shared with me in my journal, uh, uh, I wrestled with it a little bit. You know, take your position in union as if I don't, I'm not in it. There's, so there's more of a recognition, more of a relational thing. And that's what we're going to talk about. And here's the three things that I felt like the Lord impressed on me for us to do. And they're going to lead to, hopefully, exercises of us trying to do it. One is to expect presence. The second is to trust the union that he promises us, that he says we have, to trust it. And the third is to experience growing oneness. Okay, so this is where the message really starts. Expect and acknowledge his presence. Trust, and I added receive and believe in your union with God his union with you, and surrender to the experience of your growing oneness with him. So here's a couple of verses, and I've just got a couple of verses for each of these. We'll go through, and then we'll give it a whirl. John 14, 18, and 19. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, if that was the only thing that Jesus ever said prior to his crucifixion about his presence with us, and if we didn't just isolate it to be in an eschatological event in the future, that would be somewhat of enough to go, wow, I should expect your presence. And so what, what does it mean to expect his presence? Let me keep reading and then we'll talk about that. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will also live, or you will live also. So I think the time frame there is compressed down into a fairly tight little deal. And we know from the privileged viewpoint that we have that as we read the gospel narratives, it's not too long after this that Jesus does, in fact, go get arrested, die, go into the grave, rise, and then reappear to the parents. I mean, reappear to the disciples. Um, the second one, of course, is in Matthew chapter 28. It's so funny to me, and I, I would venture to say that I bet you... Seven times out of ten, if I was in a crowd that I have never done this before, and I asked somebody to quote to me the uh, Great Commission, they would quote all the thing about going to the, all the world, make disciples, and cast out demons, and do this kind of stuff, but nobody ever quotes, and lo, I'll be with you always to the end of the earth. And from my perspective now, I think the last part is probably the reason the other parts are worth quoting. He's going to be with us, and lo, I am with you always. Again, I am with you always. Well, is tonight a part of always? I think so. And that means he am with us in the present tense. Right? Okay. I, I just, that's enough. So now we'll look at the idea of trusting and receiving and believing. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. 
Are you in Christ? Yeah. Yeah. And we can make a case that there's a lot of people in Christ. People that may not even know that they're in Christ. But I'm not worried about making that case tonight. I just think that we ought to know that we're in Christ. And since we're in Christ, we are a new creature. Old things pass away, behold, all things are new. And the verse after that says, and, and all, all these things are from God. Jesus made this promise. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now, think back to John fifteen seven, where that if seemed like a conditional statement. If you abide in me, and if my words abide in you, and then that tempts us immediately to disqualify ourselves because, well, I don't know if I'm abiding, or I don't know if his word's abiding in me. But how many of you have partaken of communion? Yeah. Would you do it again? I probably should have had communion elements ready in case anybody didn't raise their hand. Then I could have eliminated that as an excuse. What Jesus said here is, is if you do this. Now, this particular verse brings up a point I want to make that, that I want you to think about. And if you are guilty of it, I want you to repent of it and renounce it. And that is to make everything a spiritual metaphor instead of a reality or a spiritual reality. And just because something is spiritual in nature doesn't make it not a reality. But we have a tendency to think that there are concrete realities, social realities, cultural realities, but then there are spiritual metaphors. And I don't want any of us to think that eating my flesh and drinking my blood is a spiritual metaphor. The people that heard it didn't think it was because they were confused by it, and they, they bugged out. Jesus said, this is my body. And this is my blood. And he built a whole new covenant on it, which is the government resting upon his shoulders. And so it's not a spiritual metaphor. It is more concrete. The things which are seen are temporary. The things which are unseen are eternal. Okay? So, just let that verse, let that saying, ask the question, am I taking my union with Jesus literally? Or am I thinking of it as a spiritual metaphor? And then, one we all love, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And lest we are tempted to push that day way off into an eschatological future, Jesus said that when the Spirit comes, He's going to remind you of all this. And this was all in the context of saying, the thing we looked at earlier, that the Father's going to give you another helper. And I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm coming to you. The world won't see it, but you will. And they did. And so did we. So did we. You will know that I am in my Father. And the reason I like this verse so much is most of us can't be persuaded that Jesus is not in his Father. No matter what kind of accusation comes against us, no matter what case is made spiritually, or by the devil, or by ourselves, or whatever. But just say it. Say it out loud and realize how closely connected I am in my Father is with you in me and I in you. It's like, and I am in my Father. It doesn't even take a full breath. I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That's one thought. That's one expression of truth. That's one reality. That's one reality. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. 
Here's the, uh, uh, this is the only one I had that extra one. I brought that, that Romans passage back. If we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Okay? Now, the third point is, is if we, if we, um, begin to recognize these things, if we begin to believe these things, if we have an expectation of His presence, His face to be revealed to us and shine on us, then we also have to surrender to the experience, the growing experience. He's totally fine. You don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> but, uh, I have a mic, and so it's okay. We can work it out. Uh, no, it's good to hear him in here, actually. Uh, then we we can surrender... We have to, to the, to the oneness, the sense of oneness. And I again would ask the question, but I'm not going to ask it because uh, we'll just keep going. I would ask the question, how many believe that we're one with God? But how many of you can describe to me an effect of that oneness? And I'm not sure that that, that comes as quickly to mind as does the belief. So we're carrying some doctrines about this stuff that don't work their way out into our life. And that's why... The thought of that three-part deal that if, if, if we'll take our place in union, establish ourselves in union, abide in Him, let His Word abide in us, there needs to be something concrete about that. There needs to be something we can wrap our heart and our mind around. And that's what I'm trying to look at tonight. So, um, here it is. Holy Father, keep them in Your name, the name which You have given Me. This is John, Jesus praying to His Father. All right. So the chance of Him lying or exaggerating or just saying things for effect is zero. Because he's going to die, and he's just praying to his dad. So this is truth. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. So that sets the scope and the, and the nature of oneness. However, we don't need to provide that. It's like the whatever. Our oneness is of the nature and the character of the oneness of the Son and the Father. Okay? And then further on in that prayer, the glory which you've given me, I have given to them. When did he do that? This was before the cross. This is before he died. This is before he rose. Maybe he gave it to him as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Maybe he gave it to him when he breathed on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe he gave to him when he said, the words I have spoken to you, they're already clean. The point is, this is a past event for you and I. This is a past event, utterly and totally and completely fulfilled by the work of Jesus on the cross, by the glory of the Father raising Him from the dead, by the exaltation that put Him in the throne next to God, by the work of the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians 3, in your heart and my heart, making room for the Spirit and for Jesus to live by faith. This is a part of our lives. This is a part of us. That they may be one, just as we are one. He says it again. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfected in unity. Now that could mean, the intention of that could have been that we are perfected in unity. But that's okay too. That's a part of our oneness. If you're one with Jesus, and you're one with Jesus, and I'm one with Jesus, that makes us pretty close, no matter what. You know what I'm saying? Pretty close. 
And I'm thinking that we can extend that down. But even if we don't go down there with that particular one as a, as a testimony to our, our oneness with God, I have given them, I've given it to them, the name, the glory, that they may be one just as we are one. And then the last verse, which I didn't put on there, is where Jesus says, Father, so that you may love them with the same love with which you love me. The same love. That used to confuse me, and then I realized, well, there isn't any other kind of love. Now it is love. Okay? So here we go. Now, let's figure out how to do this. And I, I don't have a formula per se, but I, I will share something. So, expect and acknowledge his presence. What was your previous favorite verse, Tim? Proverbs 3, five. All right, for the benefit of you Zoomers, and, and I, Tim was being cooperative. I didn't make him get up and get the mic. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Uh, acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will guide your steps, or something close to that. Acknowledge His presence. Uh, spiritual warfare verse that a lot of us uh, grew up with and lean on. Second Corinthians chapter 10. I don't know exactly the verse number, 8, something like that. Um, that we're to cast down vain imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowing of God. Some translations say the knowledge of God. It really means noticing God. If you go in and look, and I, I stumbled across it in the Loanita lexicon, and it, it means that these vain imaginations that are thrown in, most of which are accusatory in nature about the I am not, I am not, you're not, you're not, you're not worthy, you're not this, you're not that. That's what we fight against, right? The devil. You can tell that because he's judged by accusing for accusing the brother and deceiving him. So it, it basically says there that those those uh, vain things that are lifted up into the uh, exalted places are to keep us from noticing God, from acknowledging God, from knowing Him. Okay? We need... All right. Unfortunately, some of the worship songs that we sing and some of the, the worship patterns that we've established in the charismatic circle that that uh, that say, God come, God come, God come, has built an expectation that our normal way of living is with him not being here, not being present. And so Laurel's pretty good about not not saying that kind of stuff. And uh, you have to be kind of diligent about it. But there's a lot of factors that are working to keep us from acknowledging his presence, even if we expect it. Now, sometimes our expectations are sort of narrowed and in a sense wasted on things that we think are going to create a, a more comfortable environment for His presence, like worship and stuff. You guys got a thought? Sorry, I didn't look up. <laughs> I should look up. Hey guys. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering uh, how each of us think our, our discussions with the Father changes when we start to consider these things. Uh, so an easy example is you have a loved one come visit you and they're getting ready to leave. And you say, you're praying with them. You say, Father, go with them as they travel back. Well, he's already answered that, you know. And so um, how, how do our prayers change? And, and something that we do uh, periodically at Joy, that is declarations. And I'm wondering if that's a natural progression of, of understanding already what the Father has said living and dwelling in that so that that all we're doing is repeating what he has already said uh, as a part of, of 
of those declarations. So any thoughts on that? Because I, what I'm looking for here is to get practically into this stuff. Um, Jesus said something uh, that I think is amazing in, in John 14. He said, these words are not my own. They're the Father working in me. So Jesus' words that he was talking were an actual outflow of what the Father was doing in his life. So like, for instance, uh, yesterday when I was in Boulder to visit Ray, I was I was not grasping for what to do. I was trying to say, Father, what are you going to do? What do you want to do? What are you trying to do? And is there a role that I can play with you in this? I even prepare this that way. Jesus, because I knew I was going to be busy. I started early in the week. And, and I said, Jesus, what is it we want to talk about? He said, I want you to talk about these three things. Okay. And so then I piece it together. So yeah, Jeremy, I think it would change. I, I, and I do think outward forms like declaration speak more to that than intercession or, or a supplication type of prayers. And I'm not saying that there's not room for those things, but this is the kind of consciousness, even if, if we can only ask the question first, this is the kind of consciousness that's going on. Yes, Ronnie. There you go. Jeremy. You were saying uh, when people are leaving, um, may God be with you kind of thing. Maybe it's simply an acknowledgement, using his word up on the... Acknowledge, yeah. Um, or an awareness and saying, we know God's with you when you travel. We're aware of that, and we encourage you to embrace it. Yeah. You know, be just be more... No, of, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm yeah. Sa- I'm saying maybe you don't have to do that drastic of a thing. Think through all the prayers you're about to pray and say, well, okay, God's with them already. How do we say something? How about do we that? articulate something like that? Yeah, if, it's just the need to prayer. It's I just the yeah, it's just the consciousness thing. And I, I'm not going to go there where we don't need the prayer yet. But I, it's just a consciousness thing of that. So so just just like uh, hey, I just want to. I want to bless you with a revelation of the Father's presence with you as you travel. I want you to know it. That's one thing I prayed about Ray. I knew God was there. I want Ray to know God's there. You know, that kind of a thing. Uh, but, but acknowledging His presence. Um, okay. Any other thoughts about it? Acknowledging? Hmm? Noticing God's there. Yeah. So Richard today during worship prophesied something exactly in this order. I just saw the face of the Father in this big smile. Do we expect that? Do we have permission to do that? Or do we think no man has seen God at any time and Jesus has revealed him? Well, of course Jesus is the one doing the revealing. But Jesus also said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? So we need to have permission to engage and and expect his presence, to acknowledge it. And one of the simple things that's going to make a difference in our lives, I know this to be a fact because it's happening in my life, is just to acknowledge it, just to say, Wow, Lord, when you have that feeling that the Lord's with me, you don't save that for a prayer meeting two weeks later and tell somebody. You go, Lord, thank you for being here. And who knows what he's going to do? So in this particular thing, I want to tell you something that happened to me today as I was preparing. So I had carved out some time just to try to uh, exercise this and, and experience this. And, you know, ascensions have helped me do that a lot. Just quiet time. Uh, contemplative prayer, those sorts of things that Paul talked about, Paul Richards, they're, they're all good. So anyway, I, I was literally lying in a recliner, and and uh, and I was just engaging with the Lord. And I, I very clearly felt His presence, and I just said, well, Lord, I, I just thank You for Your presence. 
And then there was a few other things that, that were exchanged. It was kind of cool. And then I had, it was time for me to get up and I had to take a shower and get ready, uh, to get dressed and come down here and dress them all nice and everything, not be there in my other clothes. So I started the shower and I was still trying to stay engaged with the Lord. I stepped in the shower and I, we have a, a wand type thing. I pull it off and I started this and I, I, I just had this overwhelming feeling that Jesus was with me. I mean, like, kind of in the shape of me, with me, really, in union. And then I felt like he said, I love the feel of shower water on my skin through you. He said, I don't, I, I didn't get to take showers. <laughs> he, when I was here, he said I would stand under a waterfall. I mean, this is a conversation I'm having naked in the shower, right? Uh, and he said, I'd stand under the waterfall and it was awesome. And, 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 and Papa would rain on me, and it was awesome. But I love the way this feels. So thank you. What he said. So I'm standing there going, well, all right, here goes. <laughs> it was incredible. I don't know how to explain it. It was incredible. Just thinking about it. Now, if there's a place where angels write things down and they go, this was 80% Larry and 20% the Holy Spirit, or this was 100% Jesus. I don't know what percentage that was, revelation-wise. But it was this. It was an expectation and an acknowledgement of His presence. And if you knew how I felt, you'd be jealous. It was a great shower. Didn't think that lie. Yeah. All right, so that's just an example, and we're going to hopefully experience that as we worship and stuff. Um, how many of you just would acknowledge that if you were to set your mind on it, and if Jesus was to respond, you could be more conscious of his presence throughout your day than you are as a habit right now? Yeah, yeah. And especially when you think that that. It, the union part now puts him literally in relationship to us physically and spiritually. And so he's encountering some of the things in the world through us in ways that, that maybe he enjoys. I don't know. Okay, good. Trust, receive, and believe in your union. Uh, we, we covered this some last week, and then I think we hit it hard enough tonight that I can just make my point. And my point is this. Is there enough evidence in the declarations of Jesus when he was praying with his father and all this kind of stuff? Is there enough to believe that our union with him is real? It's not conditional. If you think of your union with God as a reward for something, anything, you're not thinking about it right. You have reduced it from the gift that it is to some sort of work or condition or reward. And one of the reasons that it was challenging last week when we were thinking about praying for whatever is because it made it, 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 it brought up any thought that any of us had about, well, maybe I'm not ready to ask for whatever. Because our union is a reward of behavior instead of a gift that the Father gave the Son in the sending of Him and that the Son gave the Father in union with us. So the way to change that is, is, is ask the Holy Spirit to become a, 
any kind of a reward detector about your union and then just intentionally go, you know, how do you believe, how do you acknowledge anything? You, you receive it, right? You believe it, you confess it. You say, Lord, I'm in union with you. Right? Yeah, Ronnie. I was going to even go a little further and say, um, when we talk about gifts sometimes in the past, I've been saying, there's a gift, you just need to receive it. I'm going to take that part out. Okay. We don't even need to receive it. We do to experience it. Okay. I think. But there's a, there's a, there's a point to be made, at least it seemed like there was a point to be made, the idea that... <laughs> Did you hear what he said? You know, don't, don't, let's not take time. He said, hurry up. <laughs> okay. So, um, all right. So you're, you're talking about what actions we can do to yeah. be more aware of this? Yeah. Okay. So in that sense, everything's set to have to have an action of some sort. But I'm simply saying that our union is already there, whether we like it or that's not. That's right. That's right. To conceive, I, I, this I 100% agree with you. To conceive of it that way is a step in the right direction. Yeah. I am in union with you because of what you've done, not what I've done. I'm in union with Jesus because of what Jesus has done. I'm in union with the Father because Jesus has pulled me in union with him, and he is in union with God, and it doesn't depend on me. So that I totally agree with. Except then I think receiving it is the highest thing we can do. That's the most honoring thing we can do. That'd be fine too. It'd be fine. Live in awareness. Intend to be aware. Be conscious of it. Yeah. In my life, there's a lot of things that uh, confirms my reunion with him, and that's just uh, some experiences that I've had with him. The prophetic mm-hmm. over my life. Um, reading his word and it just jumps out of me. Those are things that, that I know I know. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know. Yeah. To me, that's a combination of those first two things. Uh, you're in that moment, somebody's standing in front of you, uh, y- you have a number of alternatives. You can think that you're gifted and rely on the gifting. You can try to make up something that sounds spiritual. Or you can come to believe that the Lord is present and then that he gives and that that is a reflection of that union. And then you see, like even sometimes when it's not just the words, but when there's a physical act like touching somebody or giving a hug or something, that's a presence union related thing. And I think that's exactly, and we need to give those weight. We need to give those more weight than the time we have doubt, more weight than the time we have skepticism. Okay? So, so but I do think, uh, and I don't have time to teach it tonight, something that I'm putting together as some material is, 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 out of the Tuesday night group, Because we're finite and we have nothing that isn't given to us, receiving is the highest thing we can do. And so, in spite of the fact that it's the highest thing we can do, it never competes with God giving something as a source, because only He does that. But our receiving is so glorious, so I don't don't mean to in any way overdo it or dismiss it. It's just what we as finite children and receivers of all good gifts do. We receive them. And it's, it's the completion of the, of the reality, the circuit for our lives. So, uh, but the union, the main thing I want to get to us tonight is ask the Holy Spirit to help you be aware of any time you are tainting the union that, that God has made for you and that you have with Him as if it were a reward for behavior. Because it's just not.
That's not one of the carrots he dangles. Just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you any time you are taking from the, the, the gift that union is that was accomplished and finished by the work of Christ, the sending of the Father, the dispatching of the Holy Spirit, the imparting of all that, any time that we reduce it to a reward. Because then what that does is it pulls it back into our arena of performance. It pulls it back into our... And it creates a vulnerability that causes us not to notice God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me do the last point and then we'll do that because that's what I want to do. So that's a good point though. Uh, Dave asked if we could pray it right now. And I said no, effectively. <laughs> no, I'm on a roll. I want to get to this last point. This is the last point. All right. So this last point now is, is what, what role do we have in our oneness? And I do think that there is a progressiveness to our, our, our oneness. We're growing in oneness in our awareness of it. So, what I'm suggesting is that we consciously surrender to that. We surrender. Now, if you don't think surrender is a good word, I would say the reason I chose it is because we surrender to a sense of alienation very easily and far too frequently. If things aren't going the way we want, if it seems a little dark, if we're there, we surrender to that sense of being alone and isolated. But the truth is we are never that way. We are, we are one with him. And it's based upon the success of the work of Jesus. The prayer he prayed, Father, I have given them your name. There's no question about that. You have been given his name. That he may be one, that he may be one, that she may be one, that we are one. So in the same way that we need to believe and take for granted our our, our union, we need to believe and in a sense take for granted our oneness, except that oneness is an experience. And that was part of the shower experience that I had, was a, a, a sense of oneness upon which nothing religious depended. But I was aware of it. And I think the simple little phrase that the Lord put in here, take your position in union with me. If we can do these three things, if we can uh, come to consciously expect and acknowledge the presence, with us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the, the enemy to this, of course, is sin. Uh, Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2 says, in the Young's literal, your sins have created a barrier between you and the face of God, the presence of God. Did you guys know, I learned this recently, that there's no word in Hebrew for presence. I think it, the word is kovar, kova, but it's the word for face. So what that means uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll ask Yana to forgive me for my butchering of the Hebrew. Come on, okay. But the, uh, here's what, that, here's what I, that, that adds to this idea of acknowledging his presence. The presence of God is filled with the face. The face is where you see someone. It's not the presence of God like me standing this way to Jen. How comforting would that be if that was the way we thought about it all the time? But you see what I'm saying? But we think that a lot of times, like, oh, I feel the Lord's in there, you know, or whatever. But it's the face. He's thinking about us. When we consider his presence, we're on his mind. We're in his eyes. He can smell us. He can hear our cries. And sin tries to say, nah. Or vain imaginations that exalt themselves against noticing God 
It's noticing that he's looking at you and he's loving you and he's for you and he's ready to discipline the junk out of us. That's presence. Then union is an established fact that we think comes on the days following good behavior. But no, union is the opposite. Union is why there's such a thing as good behavior. Otherwise, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't come from anywhere. And then finally, oneness. Jesus, even if we just start by going, Jesus, if there's anybody I can pray, I mean, trust that praise, it's you. And so if you said that you have given me everything necessary for life and godliness, if the Father name is enough for me to be one with you, it's one. So hopefully that's enough to work with. And so let's uh, take Dave's advice and let's pray for this stuff. All right, let's pray for it, and then we'll get the worship team out here. And, uh, and, and, and this can carry seamlessly over to worship. If anybody needs prayer, uh, and, and there are some things I know in the room that we should pray for, uh, we'll make room for that either during worship, and I know it's a little bit difficult, but you can always go back in the room back there and mute the sound, or, or just be a little out of the sound, or even go in the foyer if you need to to get prayer. Uh, but I don't want to, uh, last week we, we, Push worship out, and I've already gone too long on this. But so, Father, go ahead and stand up, and we'll we'll just I don't know who would like to lead in some of this. Okay, go ahead. God is um, doing something. Okay. Anyway, um, Dan Muller is going to be with us in about a month. Yeah. How many will stand with me? Like what we've been learning, ask and you shall receive. We can put three hundred people in this place. Would you stand with me during this next month? Be trusting, believing, praying. Father, I want to see this place, place. I want to see this place filled. Why? Because we know that Dan Moeller can bring blessing to these people that come. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Amen. Okay. So that's how many? Would you raise your hand if you if you'll yeah. do that with me? Absolutely. Okay, so for the whole this month, we're believing this place is going to be filled. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Back up to these three things. All right. Could somebody lead us in the in this prayer for expecting His presence? If that point resonated with you, would you come just step to the mic and do that? Okay, Ronnie. These are not complicated topics. You guys can walk away with them in your heart, right? I mean, I'm not feeling like we're hurting anything. All right, go, buddy. Father, I thank you that you are with us. You are in us. And everything we have thought in the past doesn't really matter when we acknowledge and understand your presence in us. And I thank you, Lord, that you help us. And I ask you to help us even more to be more aware of your presence in us. Amen. 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 Build that expectation up in us, Lord. How about this idea of just flat out believing in our union? Somebody want to lead that in prayer? Okay, Dave's going to do it. Good. And and buddy, the, the part that caused you to jump up was don't let don't let anything or anyone trick us into thinking that that union is a reward for good behavior. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
So, Daddy, I didn't have to do anything. You did it all. Mm. Even when I was struggling with myself, I, I thought of you. I remembered how much you, you loved me. I didn't even have to do that. You, you're right there. You're right there with us all the time. You don't kick us to the curb. You don't forget us. You don't take your eyes off of us. You're right there all the time. And thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Lord, we renounce the idea of turning our union with you into another religious reward. We renounce it completely. And we just honor your declaration that you are in your Father, we're in you and you're in us. And for this last one, Jesus, twice when you were praying to your Father, just before your arrest, you summed up the work that you and he did in the Spirit by saying that you'd given us his name and, and um, you brought his glory so that we could be one as you are one. The life that you have invited us into, and because we started without a consciousness of it and are invited into the oneness between you and the Father and the Spirit, of course it is a growing thing to explore. But we say yes to the exploration of our oneness with you. We will know more about it tomorrow than we know today. We'll know more about it day after tomorrow than we know tomorrow. Because we will expect your presence and we will trust our union. And we will be your sons and daughters that grow in oneness and experience it on a daily basis. We'll testify to that. We'll probably be misunderstood occasionally. But nevertheless, we thank you for making us one with you. Amen. <clears throat>